Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. For years, you'll remember I quoted Josh Constein on this podcast because he was one of the breaking newsiest folks over at TechCrunch for years. Well, now Josh has gone the well-worn TC to VC route and is a principal at SignalFire. I noticed Josh had his name on a SignalFire report that was looking at the creator ecosystem, not as some sort of weird outlier, but as an actual mature economy. It's the best breakdown I've seen of the creator economy overall, as you'll hear us say extensively in a minute. It's currently the fastest growing category of startup business. So I called up Josh to discuss the report. It's linked in the show notes if you want to read it for yourself. But listen to this episode. If you're not taking creators seriously as entrepreneurs and as a category of startup, you're missing the boat on something big. Enjoy. Josh, um, so I we're going to talk about uh, this report, which is SignalFire's creator economy market map. And I might end up in this episode essentially... <laughs> Uh, just reading you data points from it, uh, which is kind of fine because like, it, there's so much fascinating data in here. But the main reason why I wanted to talk about this is because I think people continue to think of creators and like the creator economy as just some like sort of Mickey Mouse stuff. But your data shows in really quantifiable ways that this is, or, this is already and becoming more so a real industry. Um, so let's just start with a sort of high-level takeaway from your report and maybe why the report was commissioned in the first place. Sure. So the big takeaway here is that there are now 50 million creators. Those are content creators making content for a public audience and monetizing it. That includes about 48 million people who are doing it on a more part-time amateur basis and 2 million people who are doing this as their full-time job. And that includes you know, YouTube creators, uh, Instagram uh, influencers, Twitch streamers, as well as podcasters, writers, illustrators, a wide variety. But we're really seeing you know, YouTube has the biggest number of of uh, professionals. That's over 1 million creators with over 10,000 subscribers who are making a real professional living out of it. And I think the big takeaway, though, is that creators are becoming founders because now they really need to cobble together a ton of different tools uh, and team members to really be able to monetize their content, to grow their distribution, to activate their community, and to build a cult following around them. And that means that there's a huge opportunity for new startups to come around and offer help with financing, distribution, uh, growth, uh, data science, analytics. And that's what we're exactly what we're seeing, an explosion of startups in the creator economy. And, and to be clear, I mean, that is the purpose of the report was, you know, we want to invest in this area. And so we're, we're giving you our layout, our lay of the land to see if anybody's out there doing anything in these niches. Um, and we're going to go down it all. But so, again, it's sort of been a joke for a while that, oh, you know, one day the whole economy will just be all of us subscribing to everyone else's shows, you know? <laughs> 
But, um, you know, 50 million creators, it, that's, that's a real number. And that's global. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, this is the point where I start to actually read data points. So 50 million, it's, but you break it down in terms of um, there's maybe 2 million professional uh, individual creators. So by professional, we mean uh, doing it full time and either it's the majority of their income or all of their income or, or some large chunk of their income. Exactly. And you know, what you've seen is that now there's actually a higher percentage of people. When you ask American kids, 29% of them say they want to be a YouTube star when they grow up, whereas only 11% say they want to be an astronaut, the, you know, the old favorite position. Because I think a lot of people are realizing that they just want to spend their time doing what they love. They don't want a career path that leads to a cubicle. And when they look at their creator uh, heroes, they see them doing what they love, you know, following their passions, whether that's in gaming or art to art or photography, videography, making comedy. They see the people doing what they love and that passion is so uh, approachable and, and uh, enticing right now. And I think of there's this, this widespread waking up of American consciousness and the world's consciousness that you don't end up on your deathbed wondering, oh, all those things I could have owned. No, it's all the things I could have done. People want to care about what they're spending their time doing, not just the output of it. So it doesn't mean that creatorship is necessarily the most lucrative career, but it might be the most fulfilling because you get to do what you love. And so now, like you said, there's 2 million people who are doing this full-time professionally, about a 1 million on YouTube, 300,000 on Twitch, 500,000 on Instagram. And then you have the other sort of 47, 48 million amateur uh, creators who are making some part-time money on this, uh, which includes like ad revenue share, uh, sponsored content, influencer posts, uh, tips from live streams, or selling content directly like through uh, their own courses uh, or through monetizing newsletters. And when you put this all together, it creates the fastest growing segment of small businesses. And that's why we wanted to make this report. We know there are going to be a number of amazing startups that are going to emerge in this space. And we wanted to show that we've done the research and we believe in them. And, you know, we're, we're really about it from, uh, from the, the team standpoint as well. You know, I was a creator for 10 years at TechCrunch. I was writing content. I was a public speaker. I was trying to go down this path. Meanwhile, when Wayne Hu from our uh, from Signal Fire Seed Fund. He worked early leading monetization for YouTube. Uh, YY, who uh, co-wrote this report, has done an incredible breadth of research on the space. And we've already made a bunch of investments. You know, we're backers of Carrot, which is a credit card for influencers, which helps them finance their uh, their content production shoots. We're uh, we're in Chad Hurley, the YouTube co-founder's new startup, Green Park Sports, which is sort of for a digital fandom of sports teams. Uh, and we we back a company called FaceRig, which makes a live motion capture avatar system so live streamers can actually wear like sort of cartoon face and live stream it with all their emotions coming through so they can give their uh, their broadcast fans their you know their streaming fans something new to look out for and so you put this all together this is just an incredibly explosive space with huge opportunities and we want to meet more founders here right and i think that the key that you said uh either you just said it or it's in the report where it, the creators are becoming businesses. You're calling them startups or whatever. Because, and the report goes into like the history of it. So, you know, 20 years ago or so, the platforms start to pop up that allow people, like I said, again, I was, I went to film school and I remember, you know, us like, you know, getting high in the dorm room and thinking about like, you know, you won't have to go to a studio anymore. You'll have all the tools you need to just create your own stuff. And like the idea that if like, 
you know, if, if, if something like Breaking Bad came back or something like Vince Gilligan should just be able to release it as an app. And, not, you know, all of that stuff has sort of come true, which is what I find fascinating. But it's, it's the idea, uh, the, the platforms, the YouTubes especially, uh, you know, with the, the stranglehold on video that YouTube has, it was always advertising base number one. And then number two, it was you're dependent on this platform. But what we're seeing in these last few years is that you can be a creator and you can have so many different uh, revenue streams. You know, everything exactly. from it, advertising is still the the most the biggest one, right? It's a huge one, but subscriptions are becoming a major portion right. of this as well, even if though for a smaller, uh, smaller set. So I can kind of walk you through this evolution that we've seen over sure. time. So, you know, what happened first was this birth of the media platforms. And here it was, you know, platforms like Instagram and YouTube were rising up, uh, especially YouTube was the iconic one. And there you had to uh, monetize through the platform. You got a revenue share from YouTube directly. And that meant you had to play nice with YouTube. You had to make content that was friendly to their algorithms and that worked, you know, that was somewhat family safe or appropriate for YouTube. Uh, then you saw this, the rise of the second wave, the second layer of the creator economy, and that is the rise of influencer marketing. And so here we saw brands come in and say, oh, we want these creators to monetize not just the actual views, but their reach, the, the distribution to fans and the influence that they have over their purchasing decisions. And so then creators started to become not only beholden to the platforms, but to these brands. They had to be able to make content that was brand safe. They had to work with these brands to make sponsored content pieces that, uh, that, that made sense uh, and you know, carried that brand's message. Uh, and still, they were monetizing by their sheer total reach. And so they but were again, trying to make... But again, the, uh, like, that doesn't have any sense of freedom. Like you're, you're still beholden to a platform. You're still beholden to the exactly. brand, brands. Right, right. So, so it, it's not the revolution that we're hoping for, right? Right. You're mostly beholden to the masses. You have to make lowest common denominator content that appeals to everyone to maximize your views, which really, at the end of the day, you don't become relatable or like a hero to a very small subset of fans that are in some specific niche. And it's just kind of soul-sucking to try to make something for everyone all the time. You don't get to explore your more personal passions. And that's why we're so excited about Layer 3 of the creator economy. And Layer 3 sees uh, the... the, uh, the the diversification of revenue streams. So suddenly creators, you know, they built their, uh, they, they built an audience on the platform and they monetized through the platform. Then they, uh, they grew their audience on their platform and they monetized through the influencer marketing. And now finally they're taking that fan base that they've built up on the platforms and bringing it off platform to other places where they can monetize much more directly for a specific niche of their fans. And that's especially popular because uh, it ties in with a lot of really important and themes uh, you know, uh, about how people want to create. They want to create content that feels relatable, that feels uh, purposely tied to their, their fanship. And thanks to things like new algorithms, uh, like TikToks, they can get uh, that content delivered to the exact right fan, even without the fan following them already or going and searching for them. And so they stop being beholden to the common denominator. They can make niche content that appeals to their interests and their fans' interests, and they can monetize them much more deeply, not just through ads and through you know, sponsored content, but through tipping, through patronage, you know, subscription payments. Uh, they can sell 
merchandise, which is a huge, huge way that people are getting, uh, getting really uh, big revenue streams. You know, we saw the biggest musicians in history have often made their money not through, uh, through selling music, but through selling T-shirts, like Dave Matthews Band or Bon Jovi uh, or The Grateful Dead. You know, these companies have had, or these bands that have had these really long arcs of monetization. And then there's newer uh, platforms, you know, things like Cameo and these sort of VIP experiences where you're getting shout outs from your creator or you're doing one-on-one talks with them, as well as digital content sales, like selling a course. If you're more of like a, a, a Substack writer, you might monetize with a paid newsletter, but you also might run your own course on Podia where you're teaching people whatever your specific skill is. And there you're monetizing, you're making a lot more money off of a lot fewer fans. But no matter what creator you're talking about, everyone has some of those super diehard fans that they can monetize. And basically creators are taking a page out of the social gaming playbook. You know, the gaming companies realized that they made most of their money off of a tiny fraction of their fans that they called whales. And that's, that's the same thing that's going on with creators now. They can actually tailor their content specifically to their biggest fans. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. One password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. One Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, and it, we're about to go into the like breaking down the the different business opportunities in the space, but um, there's, there's twofold of what you're just saying is that number one, if you if you move off of just being beholden to one platform, um, first of all, you're, you're, you can you can monetize each fan at a greater uh, percentage to you. Essentially, your margins increase um, exactly because you you can mix mix and match the the thing. So, I'm wondering if essentially the biggest uh, opportunity, and I don't know, like because you would it would almost be each creator would want to do this bespoke but what you're describing is bespoke each creator it's not like they're abandoning the platforms they're pulling a little from a a little from b a little from c so is the biggest opportunity here allowing each creator to uh conglomerate that and 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 sort of regulatize that into you know one sort of uh push button sort of business 
there's definitely a bunch of platforms emerging that are trying to help creators cobble together all those different monetization streams into one link. So they don't have to promote themselves on 20 different networks. They can just send themselves their fans to like one homepage that has all of their monetization options. And yes, they're definitely still, they're not leaving the platforms. They're still using them to grow their audience. They're just not relying them on, for, on them for the monetization. Right. And, and honestly, each, and each I think different... the big platforms aren't good at this because most of the top social platforms, they, they made their money off nickel and diming their endless user base with advertisements. And so they're used to whatever is the biggest scale. They don't really think about how do you make more money off of fewer people. They think about making the money off of the maximum audience size. And so oh, a lot of these platforms have neglected tipping, merchandise, uh, subscription platforms, or direct sales of content. And meanwhile, a lot of these creators are sick of the policy murkiness on these platforms where you don't really know what the rules are about what you are and aren't supposed to do. And especially for some more racy creators, they're really, they're suddenly getting shadow banned. They're losing all their reach. Uh, they're getting their accounts suspended. And you've seen the rise of OnlyFans as this alternative for creators who want to be able to sell uh, content with a variety of different uh, uh, revenue streams and avoid that kind of policy murkiness. So because these platforms have neglected these new revenue streams and they've, they haven't treated, treated creators well and communicated well with them about their policies, you're seeing those creators try to monetize off-platform. Yeah, so I guess maybe I'm making the sin of thinking this, uh, God forbid, <laughs> forgive me, uh, as a creator myself, but, you know, right, like, it's sort of, you know, we're used to the idea of a sales funnel, and, you know, listeners to this podcast, please forgive me for talking about you in this way, but, you know, it's one of the reasons why you know, I did podcasting versus YouTube, like, you know, Josh was just describing the, the, you know, the lowest common denominator of ads where YouTube doesn't care because they have however many trillion views, right? So, and, and, and so then you, you have to do the, the, the broadest possible stuff. Um, and so, if you want to do a niche thing, if you want to do just a tech news sort of thing, like it doesn't fit because YouTube, you'll get it like a $3 CPM and like podcasting was attractive to me because there's a $30 CPM, but there's even a level beyond that where if you can get the ARR going and the subscriber stuff going, like you can essentially double or triple um, the, the, the money that you make from each listener or each fan or whatever. And so essentially it, it creates a universe where, Niche makes more sense than going for scale for a whole lot of things. Absolutely. Because people are getting like, if you build content that's specifically for a subculture, for a specific demographic, it's going to be a lot more relatable to them. It's going to be a lot closer to their identity. They're going to ident- they're going to align themselves much more closely with it. And they're going to want to start to shell out to drive that affiliation, that sense of, uh, of being part of the creator's journey. I think we're also just seeing this general secularization of society where people are moving away from religious communities, which were often a support network that people affiliated with and with COVID and you know social distancing, people are feeling ever more isolated. And so they're looking for a club, a cult to affiliate with. And some of these creators effectively act as charismatic cult leaders. And meanwhile, this content is just so much more relatable. Uh, and you're seeing this giant shift in the aesthetic quality of content over time. So what we've seen is that a few years ago, the Instagram aesthetic rule, this was that perfectly manicured, glamorous type of post that brand advertisers and platforms wanted to work with. But 
put it in, well, that would, that sort of recreated what we think of as traditional celebrity. When you see a traditional celebrity on TV or in a movie or in a magazine, they're always like perfectly glammed up, right? But it's, it, but you creates a big distance between the fan and the, and that celebrity and they don't feel relatable. And so you don't feel like you want to be part of their journey that you don't feel like the creator needs you at all. But what's happened over time is that the Instagram aesthetic is in decline. People want to feel like they're making something that is real and authentic and, uh, and is much more relatable. And that means creators are moving towards less manicured uh, content. They're doing more off-the-cuff shoots, you know, weird angles, blurry shots, more like candid shots, not everything being perfectly posed and manicured from the start. And what that's doing is it's making creators feel much more close to the, their fans. They don't feel like there's such a giant delta between them. And when you see someone, you're like, oh, I could be them. You want to support them. And meanwhile, this also leads to a reduction in the barrier to entry for content creation. If you want to make perfectly polished content, you need a big production studio. You need fancy equipment. You need great editors. But if you're willing to just abandon that and be more relatable, you can get started with just your phone. And then that makes the barrier to entry to being a pro creator so much lower. And then over time, as you grow your audience and you grow your monetization, you can grow your budget and add on some more of that production quality. But it's making the, the, uh, the funnel to get it started a lot lower. And I think that that's super, super important uh, for getting a, a wider breadth of voices in here. And that's the thing maybe I'm most excited about of this whole nichening of creatordom. And that is that suddenly you're going to see people that you never got a chance to see uh, on camera or in, in positions of power in the media. People who, you know, we, we talk a lot about representation in the media with, thing, uh, with, with films uh, trying to get more diverse actors and actresses on, uh, on screen. And you know, creatordom is going to exemplify this. Suddenly, you know, every subculture, every niche, whether that's, you know, Dungeons and Dragons TikTok or, you know, these different forms of like meet YouTube or the, uh, or someone who's just a, a, you know, a creative writing tutor, you know, they can all find their own niche, create content that's just for that group of people. And you're going to get a different group of sometimes underrepresented uh, demographics able to become creators. And meanwhile, by having uh, content which can go viral on a its own with new algorithms like uh, like TikToks that don't require you to have built up a giant following over years. You can think on Instagram and YouTube. You have to build up followers, you know, day by day with consistent posting for years and years to build up a to, big you audience. You have to be a grinder, yeah. You have to grind it out exactly. But on TikTok, you make one great thing. You know, it's assessing content based on its individual quality, not on the aggregate quality of the creator. So all you have to do is make one video where most people who see it love it. And all of a sudden you will just get vaunted to the front of the front of the for you page of TikTok. You'll gain millions of followers and you can start your creatordom profession uh, and your career there. And that also means that it opens up creatordom to people who didn't have the time and money to invest in being an unpaid creator for years. You can think of this as the parallels to the unpaid internship uh, problem where unpaid internships are discriminatory because they only basically allow people who have financial stability to join them. Because if you don't have savings, you can't take a job for free. And similarly, if you didn't have any savings, it was hard to be a creator for free for years to build up that following. But now with these new algorithms and you getting the ability to get popular quickly, it opens up and democratizes creatordom for a much wider set of people. So you're getting you know, not only niche content built for every subculture, every, every culture, everybody gets their own creator, but you're seeing representation and new demographics and diversity amongst creatorship that you never get from the traditional media gatekeepers. Well, or even from the way that um, 
digital media has operated for the last 20 years, you know, I, I remember from the beginning of blogging, even like if you got there first, like you could get diversification of voices if you got there first, depending on who got there first. So again, I think Eugene uh, Way talked about that in his essay about the, the TikTok algorithm too. Um, let me, let me just, I'm going to pick a, two or three things at random to, to poke at that I found interesting in terms of this, this report trying to look at what potential businesses there could be here. So number one, this comes back to the idea of like um, the scale and the platform, like a, a Twitch or a YouTube can get like take rates as high as like 30 or 50% of the revenue generated by content. But then these sort of more direct with your fan stuff by their nature, again, of it being more direct between the creator and the fan, like a, a, a cameo, a, um, a, a OnlyFans, uh, a Patreon, like their, their take rate is only like 5 or 10%. So is that yeah. a problem in the sense that if you were going to create a startup that was like a Patreon 2.0, like is there no way to achieve scale in that model of, of, a, of a business? I definitely think you can achieve that scale because when you offer a lower take rate, you attract creators. They don't start to make that decision like, eh, is it better for me to just try to own my audience somewhere else or build my own tools or stick with the big platforms? They say, well, it's such a small cut that I have to give away to this platform I'm, uh, that's you know, offering some special monetization tool and may as well join up with them. But you definitely have seen a ratcheting up of rates over time. So you know, Patreon started with a 5% rake, which is so low, really tough given how much Patreon actually does for creators. And so it's, you know, it grandfathered in its original creators, but now new ones that sign up are closer to like eight or 10% of a, of a, of a take rate, which I think is more reasonable for startups. But at the same time, you know, these, these new platforms for, uh, and specific monetization tools, they're, they're not saying we're going to build your audience for you. And so you have to bring your own audience. And so because of that, they don't deserve as high of a take rate because they're not providing as much of a service. They're not providing the audience and the monetization, they're just providing the monetization tools. You have to bring your own audience. And so I think it makes sense that these uh, there's a smaller take rate, but there's still a great opportunity to build a big business. First, because as we said, creatordom is exploding in popularity. 50 million pro or semi-pro creators exist now. There's a big total addressable market. But also, once you become a fundamental part of a creator's monetization stack, you have so many opportunities to upsell other types of services. You know, so you know, Patreon started with just this uh, this rake on your subscription fees, but now it lets you offer all these additional services. You know, it's working with merch providers, it's working with other websites uh, to give you these additional options, and you can sort of layer on some monetization that way. Uh, and and I think that that's going to be really popular. And meanwhile, you know, by giving people a diversity of different monetization options, the way that like OnlyFans has, you know, OnlyFans lets you do subscriptions, lets you do tipping, lets you do one-off content sales. It appeals to a wider uh, subset of creators, and so. It, you're still able to build a big business there. Um, in the influencer marketing space, like my understanding is that largely the businesses that have been built there have been sort of agencies, like the, the, the talent agency model. Um, I think that you ask in the report, um, like who will be the double click of influencer marketing? What, what are you talking about? Like what, are, what, is the, what is the opportunity that you see in terms of building a business around influencers? 
I mean, in terms of the influencer marketing space, yes, the biggest companies we've seen have moved in as agencies where they effectively act as a middleman connecting the brands and the creators. They help brands find creators that are the right fit for their type of content and style. They help creators you know, reach out to brands and not have to do that full sales process so the creators can focus on just doing what they love and making the content. And they handle all of the sort of economics and logistics of the payment transfer in the middle and making sure everyone does their part and abides by the contracts. And so that's been a huge Space. And so, you know, you've definitely seen companies like Captivate uh, and, you know, Grin, Aspire IQ that are, are building these kind of platforms and marketplaces uh, for creators. But there's also uh, some more DIY ones where creators can basically put themselves up for auction on platforms uh, like The Plug. And that's become very popular as well because creators get to work a little bit more directly with the brands. They don't have to deal with, with as uh, heavy of a middleman. Um, but I still think that there are a lot of opportunities here because a lot of these... Uh, uh, these platforms have specifically been built for brand safe, you know, brand advertising sponsored content. Not a lot of them have focused on a whole other uh, area of creatordom, which is like the meme creators. It's kind of lower quality content, a little bit more like remnant. Um, you know, you can think of this, uh, but there's opportunities to monetize this because they still have huge reach and you can monetize different types of content. So you can think that with a, uh, with a traditional, like sort of, you know, pretty creator, they might be able to do makeup brands and fashion companies and things like that, that, you know, are basically stuff you use as a person. And the ad is basically going to be their face on camera using the product. But if you're a game company trying to, you know, get downloads of your game, you're advertising on a platform like that is going to be tough because it's so different than the content the creator normally makes. But a game meme screenshot looks a lot like a meme screenshot. And so you're going to see platforms emerge that help uh, a different, uh, different subsets of creators beyond the more traditional influencer influencers to be able to monetize. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. As you know, I still run the first company I ever founded 25 years ago entirely on Shopify these days. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow the whole way. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is that you can take any business to the next level, even 25-year-old ones, but especially 25-day-old ones. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash ride when you go through airport security there's one line where the tsa agent checks your id and another line where a machine scans your bag the same thing happens in enterprise security but instead of passengers and luggage it's end users and their devices these days most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide, 
finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. You mentioned uh, right at the beginning, like the idea of creating tools and things like this to allow all the different angles of this market uh, be more successful. Um, one of the biggest ones is like literal. I mean, I mean, this is so obvious. This is the the in a gold rush, you can make the most money by selling the pickaxes and things like this, like selling the tools. Um, and you have these company, and I'm talking about like literally the creation tools, like the the canvas, the affinities. Um, and we're seeing some of these tools built into some of these platforms as well. But uh, um, I'm wondering, uh, you say in the report that like. Uh, the problem with that is that Adobe is the like 800 pound gorilla in the space. But like, I don't even think that that's true because like Adobe, it's like free Adobe is a fantastic business that made its money on the creators of the last generation where if I'm a video or photo creative, like I have the need to professionalize and have these super complex comprehensive tools, but the creators today don't necessarily need that much depth or specificity. So I almost was reading that part of the report and thinking like, this is where it's at. Like um, just, Adobe is so ripe for being blown up. I I agree from the standpoint that influencers definitely want tools where they don't have to necessarily do all the work themselves. You've seen apps like Trash and Quick, which automatically edit together short video clips to make kind of a mini movie or a vibe check video. Um, and you've also seen you know tools for making GIFs uh, like Bochi and Kapwing uh, that help you sort of make more slapdash uh, memes and creation. But the fact is that the creators who are using these are probably not going to pay the same rates that a professional content creation right. business that uses Adobe is going to be able to pay. And the companies that have been the most successful here are the ones that tie a network to a tool. So like Instagram, for instance, offered a lot of photo editing tools, but there were lots of photo editing apps that existed before that. It was pairing it with a network where they could make the money on the advertising rather than selling the tools that was really popular. And so you're definitely going to see all of the platforms build more and more tools in-house over time to try to draw creators there. You've seen Snapchat be very successful there. It's been able to retain creators just because they love its augmented reality filters, for instance. Uh, and, but I do think that there will be there's opportunities to build those tools, but you need to figure out uh, the monetization is the hardest part. It's easy to maybe get scale, but you know we saw tools like um, uh, Prisma, which was you know this style transfer sort of AI filters uh, that let you like completely change the look of photographs. You know they got really popular, but never really were able to monetize because that kind of audience uh, of end user creators is tough to make a lot of money from if you're only sell- charging them a small amount per month or a small upfront fee. Well, and then uh, to to sort of wrap it up, I mean the the point that you make is obvious if you look at it through the lens of this is the fastest growing segment of small businesses. <laughs> At the moment, um, it's literally tools like uh, helping with accounting, helping with you know customer relationship management, things like that. Like essentially, again, if the thesis is is that every creator is creating 
is a, is a startup, is creating a small business or a medium business or a big B business, um, any of the tools that any business would need, that's potentially the opportunity for a startup to serve that need. Exactly. It's a lot easier to make money if you're the tool that the money flows through instead of the content flows through. If you're making a photo in something, you know, you might be able to get that option somewhere else and you can easily switch between tools. But if you're talking about, you know, the credit card that you're using uh, or the, you know, the patronage platform that you're stuck on where you're, you know, you have some network effect there, your users are locked in there, it's going to be a lot harder to switch between them. And you're just going to get a lot uh, a lot higher opportunity for margins than if you're just building the tool that the content flows through. But I think the biggest, most important takeaway I want your listeners to think about is that creators are the new founders. That you know we're at this inflection point in history. You have to be to be a professionalized creator. You need to cobble together all these different uh, skills and tools. It used to be all you had to be was an artist. Now you have to be a product manager, a designer, a community engager, an e-commerce expert, a data scientist, not just an entertainer. And that means that these companies. Uh, the, the companies that succeed in building these tools are the ones that are going to make it as easy as possible for uh, for creators to cobble these all together, to stitch them all together, and to have the lowest friction experience so they can use those tools, get the money, get the growth, get back to doing what they love, turning their passion into their profession, making content. Well, uh, I I obviously linked to the piece in the show notes. So if if people want to get a look at this comprehensive, it's the be- it's the best rundown of the sort of creator uh, ecosystem and and uh, marketplace and economy that I've seen so far. So um, it's very interesting. It's from SignalFire. And so let me end by this. I think the last time you were on the show, you were still at TechCrunch. You're at SignalFire now. You're uh, in the, the VC uh, pool now. Uh, are you enjoying the waters over there? I love it. You know, eight years at TechCrunch was incredible. I, you know, I, I made my name there. I learned all the skills and expertise that I, I, I was able to, to, to find. And I, I love that experience. I love being a creator day in and day out and just having one single job, which was crystallizing information for my fans. But, you know, being a VC means you get to do this on a bigger scale where you're not just influencing what people think, but like what actually gets built, what succeeds. And I think that, and my favorite part of being a journalist always ended up being the last five minutes or 10 minutes of an interview where I was talking with them and jamming with founders about product and PR and strategy. And now that's my whole job and I love it. So if you're building something in the creator economy and want to get some uh, feedback on what you're building uh, or just learn more about the opportunities and you want to hear more about what SignalFire does, we build, bring this amazing recruiting platform, bring this huge advisor network with the Instagram founders and the YouTube founders and Slack CEO, all these incredible leaders in tech uh, who can help your business. SignalFire is really doing bringing something special to the table. And that's why I left an otherwise very good job in journalism to become a VC is because there's really something special going on at SignalFire. Uh, well, thank you, Josh. And uh, thanks for uh, running down that whole report, which was awesome. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Ryan. 